Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey guys, ready or not, 2024 is here, and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. We have an amazing show for everybody today. What do we have, Crystal? Indeed we do. Big day for American domestic politics. Hard to believe, but the Iowa caucuses are today. Today. Um, The weather is absolutely horrendous. Everywhere, here included. Indeed. (laughs) And um, so we'll see whether that's going to make a difference. We've got the very last Iowa poll, the one that's considered to be the highest quality. We'll break that down for you. Sagar and I have got our own predictions for what it's worth. Um, Mm -hmm. We're also taking a look at the way that Trump has decided at the very last moments here to go after Vivek Ramaswamy, and Vivek is responding in a very interesting fashion. Yeah. Trump also, this is kind of funny, taking out ads against Nikki Haley on MSNBC. Brilliant, which we will tell you about. Yeah. it has turned out a lot of her support is independents, but also some Democrats who may cross over, so we'll take a look at that. Ron DeSantis is receiving a participation trophy in Iowa. Let's see if he can surpass expectations and get back in the game. At the same time, we're also marking 100 days of Israel's assault on Gaza. We'll break down the very latest from you there. Uh, some pretty stunning comments from Netanyahu about how this is our war, too. Mm. And in line with that, we actually, it appears, have suffered our first casualties in that war in our backing up of Israel. So a lot to break down for you there in the latest fallout from our strikes on Yemen, which occurred over the weekend. Sagar's also going to be taking a look at the case of a journalist who died imprisoned in Ukraine without the American press or the American president saying a damn word. So whether or not you agreed with this man and his views, this was an American citizen who was basically killed 
in Ukrainian detention and went without a single word from anyone here in America. It's a really tragic case. I'm going to break it down for everybody. Uh, but before we get to that, you know, I guess I'm trying to pivot to some positive things here. We This is really is a fun kickoff for us, actual 2024 election season. We've got a discount going on for our yearly membership. We can put it up there on the screen. It's the election discount. You can take advantage of it at breakingpoints.com to support all of our work. We will have the show today. We will have breaking news results tonight and then tomorrow morning, the four of us, uh, me and Crystal and the CounterPoints team will also be here at the desk early, bright and early with no sleep in order to break everything down for you. And then New Hampshire as well, we've got big plans. So if you can help support all of our work that goes on with that, you can take advantage, breakingpoints.com. Yes. I guess. We uh, should also mention. Oh, that's right. Because, because of the weather. Because of the weather, right. uh, the RFK Jr. focus group that we had scheduled for this weekend has had to be postponed. Yeah. It is still going to be uh, in the works. We've got a tentative date rescheduled and all the participants lined up and whatever. So we will get that to you, but we didn't want to fly people out to Detroit in the middle of a snowstorm. Exactly. Didn't seem like that was particularly Didn't seem idea. exactly prudent. Uh, there was like several inches of snow, ridiculous wind chill. People it wouldn't have even been safe for the participants to arrive. Nobody would have well. showed up. I hope so nobody would have showed up. It's a whole thing. Uh, we are, it has on the books. It's already been rescheduled. We're going to bring it to you as soon as possible, and we will tease those results as they come. Huge developments with regards to Israel and the Gaza Strip. We have now passed 100 days since October 7th, 100 days of Israel's assault on the Gaza Strip. Let's go ahead and put some of the overall statistics just so we have a sense. You know, Euromed Monitor, they've been um, tracking the number of deaths, the number of casualties, number of journalists killed. And they actually had a headline that in 100 days of war, there are 100,000 Palestinians who have either been killed, injured, or who are missing. Now, the top line numbers here in terms of killed, and they include in this number those who are presumed dead under the rubble, which is why their number is a little higher than what you see like from the UN. 31,497 killed, 12,000 plus of those are children, 6,000 plus of those are women, some close to 29,000 of those are considered to be civilians or estimated to be civilians. You have nearly 2 million Palestinians who have been displaced. The amount of destruction to buildings and civilian infrastructure in the Gaza Strip is really, you know, difficult to comprehend. It's on the level, has surpassed even the level of something like the Allied bombings of Dresden. Nearly 70,000 homes have been destroyed. Almost 200,000 homes have been partially destroyed. 320 schools damaged, 1,671 industrial facilities damaged, 239 mosques damaged, three churches damaged. And you can see also the toll on healthcare professionals, civil defense workers, and on the press. So horrific numbers. Um, this is as of January 14th, so as of yesterday, any way that you put it. Um, at the same time, you know, something we have been tracking closely here, especially in the wake of that UN report that half of all residents of the Gaza Strip, half of all Palestinians in the Gaza Strip are uh, starving, and 90% have gone, regularly gone days without having a single thing to eat. So that is the context for uh, these videos. Let's put this up on the screen that we can see. This is in northern Gaza. These are people who have come out effectively of hiding, risking their lives, trying to find food um, with the expectation that there is a food truck delivery. And you can see them all clustered here. Um, and what happens? The Israeli forces, the IDF, begins firing on these people. That is why they are fleeing. 
as they are out risking their lives in an attempt just to find food and avoid starvation. So it is truly a horrifying situation. Um, reminder, this is an official representative of the Israeli government of this agency called COGAT, which is responsible basically for coordinating humanitarian aid. This was a quote that this individual gave to Haaretz, who said, there is no hunger in Gaza. There were stockpiles of food in Gaza. Don't forget that this is an Arab Gazan population whose DNA is to hoard, certainly when it comes to food. So these are the sort of just like blatantly racist and denialist rhetoric that is coming out of official Israeli agencies with regards to the level of hunger saga that is being experienced right now in the Gaza Strip, which experts are saying the hunger and the disease may ultimately claim far more lives than the bullets in the bottom. I mean, that's usually the case, actually, if we you know, think back to some of these conflicts, kind of tried and true strategy. I think the problem right now for the Israelis is that the more and more that this is happening is that they get claim it's in the midst of a lot of the war. So for example, you know, previously some of the numbers and all of that you showed, that was during actual like bombing campaigns. Now, mm -hmm. as I understand it, a lot of that has been reduced. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. Obviously, you know, these people were fired upon. But now we're getting into the big occupation questions. And while all of that happens and things shake out, there's all this reporting right now between the US and what they're exactly, the plan that they're trying to push and involve, it's a cockamamie scheme involving Saudi Arabia, recognition, Palestinian statehood, American dollars, and much more, is that this acute hunger situation is going to remain the biggest center of gravity. And it also will determine a lot of the follow-on events, especially because they can't stop the images that continue to come out. And mm -hmm. I mean, already we're seeing degradation akin to Mogadishu in Somalia, you know, back in the 90s. And the same problems are going to arise that happened at that time. If everybody wants to remember, as we had a global crisis, you know, the Somalis that were descended into complete civil war, and there were all these different warlords. The UN was trying to make inroads, and the entire U.S. mission was to try and support the world food program. Tended into Black Hawk Down. Eventually, we withdrew. And Somalia never really has been the same since. The question too is here about what is going to constitute in Gaza eventually. This will consolidate and always does to control for resources. So will Hamas you know, rise? Will we have an insurgency that battles it out with another group? What about these Palestinian authority officials? Who's gonna take you know, responsibility? The Israelis themselves are gonna remain in like a security holding where they maintain obviously a blockade on some of the humanitarian aid and all that. Maybe they'll cut a deal with a certain militia. I actually think this is where things could get more messy and more out of control than before. And I, and, I mean, we've been saying that now for quite some time, but the hunger situation, the food situation, and generally the questions around, the big meta questions around occupation and who has administration and control for this is more terrifying as we move into like low grade, more, more low grade operations. But at the same time, all things on the horizon say that a new Israeli military campaign may mount in the South. Yeah. And that could kick things off into actually a whole other direction. Yeah, that's exactly right. Actually, if we could go ahead and put up on the screen that Wall Street Journal report about how the Israelis are planning to seize that last Gaza border that they don't control. This is the Egyptian border, the Rafah crossing that we have been discussing quite a lot. And um, this is 
Okay, this is a problem for a lot of reasons. Number one, it is a, obviously a massive infringement on any sort of idea of Palestinian control of the Gaza Strip. That's the number one, and that has you know long been mostly a fantasy anyway. Um, it also is really infringing potentially on the sovereignty of Egypt, but also in terms of the humanitarian crisis. So after people were forced out of the north, and the north was bombed to hell in Gaza, um, they moved to the south. Many people moved to Khan Yunus was one of the major cities in right. the south that people moved to. Well, Khan Yunus has now been bombed to hell, and many people have fled from there as well. Where have they gone? Over a million Gazans, and remember, there's only roughly 2.2 million Gazans in total, are now clustered in Rafah, in the very place where the Israeli government and the Israeli military are saying they are planning their next offensive. So we're hearing all this rhetoric about, oh, we're shifting to another phase and it's going to be lower grade, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we haven't really seen that, but this is a massive, massive risk. In this Wall Street Journal report, they say an offensive in the area will be complicated militarily due to the presence of more than a million Palestinians who have fled the rest of the Strip, have concentrated in the area. Most of them are packed into the city of Rafah, adjacent to the border or camping in the areas along the border. Even a limited military operation to occupy a stretch of land a few hundred yards wide would require Israeli forces to push through Rafah City, which straddles the border and areas where the displaced people have gathered in tent camps. Security analysts are concerned such an operation would deepen the humanitarian crisis. So they are, you know, far from finished. All of the supposed U.S. pressure, which has always been nothing but rhetorical, has obviously not shifted or changed their plans whatsoever. Yeah. Also appears, Crystal, that this would be a violation of the 1979 peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. They actually specifically in the treaty, it limits the number of troops between the, both nations in the border areas. The other problem is, is that in terms of tunnels and all of that, I mean, this is the main way that weapons and all these other goods get into Gaza. It's like the number one highway for Hamas and all of that. So theoretically, I mean, the fighting there could be worse. It also is awful because you got even more of the civilians that are packed into yes. the small area. And it is also, you know, the main way that humanitarian aid has been getting into right. the Gaza Strip, the limited amount that's been let in. So it could be even further, you know, of a disaster. This one actually probably bears the most risk into a spillover conflict because it involves the Egyptians and their Egyptian military is already not happy about this. They think that, I think correctly, that the likely, they think that if all things, you know, were able, if the Israelis would do whatever they want, they think that the Gazans would just be pushed out into Egypt. The Egypt does not want it. They say they would literally go to war if something like that were to happen. So then the question is about U.S. diplomacy and the pressure that we may exert on Egypt and more. We don't know yet, you know, what this will look like and if this will even be allowed to proceed, you know, if there is some sort of risk of a broader war or if they'll, you know, openly continue the middle finger to America, continue anyway. And yeah. We could find ourselves in a serious situation, you know, even just as serious as the Red Sea, which we're yeah. about to talk about. I mean, we're already in a broader war. It's just a question of how hot that is going to get. And just one note on the tunnels, because I know, like, people understandably think about these as just, like, a nefarious way for Hamas mm. to get weapons in, et cetera. But keep in mind that for, you know, years and years now, Israel has imposed a blockade on the Gaza Strip, and they have very precisely limited what goods are allowed to come in. And it's not just, like, grenades that they block. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like things like TV potato chips yeah, that's right. and candy, and it's just completely at their whim what is able 
able to come into the Gaza threat strip through official channels. Um, previously, you know, they talked about putting them on effectively a starvation plus diet um, and controlling the caloric intake so that people would remain hungry, but not so bad that they would starve to death. Yeah, so no, that's I, a lot also of what's coming in through the tunnels, just so people are aware of like the sure. purpose of I mean, these I'm tunnels not and their totality. Defend the Hamas tunnels. Yeah. Actually, part of the problem with the tunnels was that because it was the only way to get stuff in, the way that these Hamas guys became phenomenally rich is that they control the black market. That's yeah, actually the how they market. made the, the vast majority of their money was made on kind of controlling the racket in Gaza. You could, I mean, the images of their houses and all that are now public. You don't make that because you're smuggling in weapons. The weapons are what you're able to buy because you can smuggle in potato chips and TV and in many cases like medicine and other things. That building were, materials uh, yeah, so building they can rebuild right. after the various mowing yeah. of the lawn. They're just like the Taliban. They're like a drug cartel or not. They're like a criminal cartel that also happens to have like a militant arm. That's how they were able to maintain control for such a long time. And but, a yeah. large, some of that was downstream of the blockade, which is part of the problem. Uh, and I think, I think though, you know, they're going to go through and they're going to try and clear at least some of these tunnels. But, you know, if, and they haven't really done this yet, you know, in terms of tunnel clearing operations that a lot of people expected, we will see if they're going to try and to take control, to seize control, because this continues to be probably the main way that you're able to have any sort of communication back and forth for the Hamas leaders to be able to get in and out and have any sort of mobility, at least it have been in the past, you know, including Iran and anything that they've been able to send, other countries that have been able to support Hamas. So I, I'm not quite sure, you know, what, what it's going to look like, but it could, it could be a nightmare. It really could. Yeah. I mean, you know, we haven't yet seen some of the worst nightmares military scenarios play out with the tunnels and all of that, but it, we could see it here. It's possible. I think it's also important to point out at this point, you know, a hundred days into the war, uh, Israel's stated supposed goal of eradicating Hamas by anyone's estimates, including their own very rosy estimates of how many Hamas fighters they've killed. Nowhere close to achieving what they claimed their goal would ultimately be. And now we've said from the beginning, um, you know, citing people who are military analysts who have uh, studied these sorts of groups, that the idea of eradicating or eliminating Hamas was always sort of preposterous because in addition to the estimated 30,000 fighters they have, which again, Israel doesn't even claim that they've come close to or even eliminated half of those Hamas fighters. In addition to that, this is a political system, it's a political ideology, and in fact, the more brutal Israel is, the more they starve people, the more they deny them medical care, the more kids you have getting amputations with no anesthetic, the more Hamas members you are creating, the more you are bolstering the Hamas ideology. And we have seen that very clearly with polls coming out of the West Bank. We've seen it very clearly, you know, in terms of the limited information that we're able to get out of the Gaza Strip, that this has actually strengthened Hamas. So if you look 100 days in, Israel hasn't been able to rescue a single hostage. Actually, they murdered, their forces murdered three of their own hostages because they thought they were Palestinians. The only hostages exchanges came during a ceasefire and they were nowhere close. In fact, they've gone backwards in terms of their stated end of eradicating Hamas. And at the same time, we, we've always been directly complicit. We've always been supplying Israel, but we just keep getting pulled more and more and more in directly into this war. And I do mean directly into this war, and I'll talk about some likely casualties that we have just suffered. But here is Bibi Netanyahu telling an Israeli outlet, and this is going back to uh, D3 guys, telling an Israeli outlet that when Tony Blinken, our Secretary of State, 
was there in Israel, he told him flat out that this is our war too, which listen, frankly, looking at it, you can't really deny. Let's take a listen to that. A few days ago, I met uh, the Secretary of State Blinken. I thanked him for the American assistance and I said to him, we waged this war after these uh, monsters butchered us. We do not stop. We do not stop until we eliminate the Hamas and bring back the hostages. And I also said, it's not just our war, it's your war as well. This is the war of the sons of light against the sons of darkness. This is against the axis of evil led by Iran and the Houthis and the Hezbollah and Hamas. And I added that I don't forget for one moment that in addition to the war in Gaza, in addition to bringing back their hostages, and the inhabitants to their homes, both in the north and the south, we have an existential mission to prevent Iran from obtaining nuclear weapons. That's my mission. That's our mission. And I said to the Secretary Blinken, this must be your supreme mission as well. There is so much there to break down. I mean, first of all, just him blatantly saying this is our war too, which again, I can't even disagree with at this point. Secondly, he is one of a number of Israeli officials who are thumbing their nose at the supposed concern that the Biden administration has expressed about the length of this war, about the indiscriminate bombing of this war, about the humanitarian crisis. He says there very clearly, we are gonna do what we want to do. And finally, and he also talks again about the, the sons of light versus the sons of darkness. We see what the supposed sons of light have been doing to thousands and thousands, millions actually, of, um, of civilians in the Gaza Strip. And then he goes on to tell us what our foreign policy priorities should be with regard to Iran. Iran who again, yes, they have supported Hamas. They were not involved in October 7th. And Bibi Netanyahu is here telling us what our foreign policy priorities should ultimately be. So there is a lot there, uh, Sagar, to oh, yeah. take issue with. And also very, no, again, you know, in this day and age, they should probably realize that we hear them when they're speaking in Hebrew as well. And like, there is an ability to translate here. But the fact that this is for a an Israeli Hebrew language audience, he clearly thinks that he's able to sort of like keep this from the American public. I mean, I think he's right. If you look at the headlines across America today, it's going to be Iowa and it's going to be uh, the blizzard. And that's what the vast majority of people are. How many people are going to listen to a translated version? Actually, when I was in Israel, one thing I did notice, they watch a lot of news. It's a very news consuming public. So oh, really? For, yeah, it's it's, I mean, it makes sense. They're a nation like always either on the brink or in currently involved in a war. So they're they're very closely monitoring. It's much smaller, you know, more homogenous. So anyway, my point being that they're, he's much more likely to get his message across to the people who he needs to save his ass and not get kicked out of office as opposed to people who are in the U.S. who have all kinds of different concerns. So I don't necessarily think it's probably, you know, it's not the wrong move on his part because he's been able to basically get away with everything that he yeah. wants. Uh, the real question, you know, Chris, do we have the element from Axios? Yeah, yeah let's put it up there, please, D6. on the screen uh, that just demonstrates here, like, kind of what what U.S. policy towards this been out. It says Biden is frustrated and running out of patience with Netanyahu. U.S. officials tells me. I mean, it's just like the 99th story now, you know, <laughs> leaking behind the scenes. 
at a certain point, either back him or don't. And this is where it's like, what are we doing here? You know, are we, you know, it's an unequivocal support on the back end, but then always covering our ass in the press. Either call him out in public and pull the support and tell him to wrap it up or back him 100%, you know, honestly. But, you know, trying to have it both ways is just ridiculous in my opinion. I mean, really what I think we need to do, what I've seen in the past now, uh, uh, what I've seen some even Obama people float is, Biden needs to press for a change in government in Israel. And look, I know that this, you know, sounds a little bit like interfering, but at this point, you know, given the intertwinement of the two governments, I think we should just make it clear, be like, look, Bibi, we got, we don't have any confidence in you. So it's like, Israel, you guys can figure it out. But until we see long-term change and you actually, you know, change your government, you have somebody who can speak properly on your behalf, then, you know, U.S. support, it's just not going to happen Yeah. for this interim period. Because at this point, I mean, he's just putting us in such a precarious position. We're about to talk now about the likely, unfortunate fortunate casualties, you know, already in a war they're suffering right now. And it's just costing America bill, billions of dollars, you know, from the shipping, uh, from, I mean, look, I can add up the bill for all the bombs that we just put on Yemen, and it's probably well over 100 million, if we don't even include all the resources that we've deployed. And just in general, like, this was my same critique of Ukraine. Think about the amount of brain space that this takes up for the U.S. military, for the American president, and for decision makers in Washington. That is the most precious thing in the world. It's like the entire world is currently revolving around this conflict. And it's like, if that's going to be the case, then like we should have less of an impotent role, I think, in it. Yeah. I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I just can't with these endless pieces about how frustrated they are and how they're trying so hard behind the scenes, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to think about how completely bizarre this is that you have the president and his aides leaking to Axios that they are basically in disagreement with their own policy set by the president of the United States. Right. I mean, this is this president is the one who has set no red lines, unconditional support, rushing weapons, bypassing Congress to rush these weapons and the 2,000 pound bunker buster bombs that are being dropped on civilians. So if you really are frustrated with the war effort, you sure have a funny way of showing it. It dovetails with this always frequent, feigned Democratic Party impotence, like pretending like, oh, things are just happening and we have absolutely no control of them. No, you set the policy. You set the strategy. You are the ones who have made it very clear that, yes, you may do a little bit of hand-wringing, but at the end of the day, you're going to give Israel and you're going to give Netanyahu every single thing that they want. So, of course, they're not going to listen to you. Of course, Bibi's going to go on Hebrew, you know, in Hebrew language on Israeli news and be like, yeah, we told them we're not stopping. We're doing whatever the hell they want. And this is our war. And by the way, we think you should attack Iran next. Like, of course, he's going to feel entitled to do that because that is the policy that you set. So to go to the press, and I have to say, too, like, these reporters just— lay this out totally credulously based on, you know, whatever it is that the officials are saying without providing any context that, hey, if they actually had a problem with it, there are weapons, there are tools that we could use, including not shipping them the weapons that they want until they do the things that you supposedly claim that you care about. But just to give you, you know, a very clear sense of how this is not at all dissonant, Bibi's policy is not at all dissonant with the Biden administration policy. The White House just put out their statement about 100 days of war. How many times do you think they mentioned Palestinians? How many times? Zero. Zero. 
They did not mention Palestinians, the massive death, the hunger, the starvation. They did not mention it a single time. So yes, if you're Bibi Netanyahu, you're looking at that, you're looking at Joe Biden. Okay, he hung up on the phone with you in a huff 20 days ago. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Sagar, I thought there was an extraordinary quote in that Axios piece from uh, Senator Chris Van Hollen, who is a totally like, you know, party supporting standard issue Democrat, who says, for now, Netanyahu appears more willing to listen to Ben Gavir and Smotrich than to what the president of the United States says. And it is no surprise why that would be. First of all, he's ideologically aligned with that. that that's say, number yeah. one. <laughs> number two is that they actually are willing to threaten to withhold their support, break up his coalition, and undermine his power base. So yeah, they have a lot more power and they have a lot more say, even though the Biden administration would like to pretend there's some fringe voices irrelevant to the government. We have a Democratic senator here, who by the way was just in the region, who is saying, not the case, not the case. These people actually have a lot of influence, way more influence than the president of the United States is willing to exert. Well, why wouldn't he have more influence? Like Biden is willing to back him and these people are actually control his political future. So I, I actually think it's quite of a rational move on uh, his part. But listen, we're probably just not going to change anything about it. So it is what it is. Yeah. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At the same time, um, there has been uh, stunning revelations that two U.S. Navy SEALs have uh, been lost at sea in the um, near Yemen off the coast of Somalia in what has been described as a uh, mission to essentially board a ship at night and try to intercept weapons that they believed were going from Iran to Yemen. That piece has now been confirmed that that's the mission that they were on. Here is John Kirby getting asked about this. Let's take a listen. We received that report about two Navy SEALs missing off the coast of Somalia. They were attempting to board a small ship believed to be carrying weapons from Iran to Yemen. What is the status? As far as we know, that, that search is still ongoing for those, uh, for those two sailors that uh, are in the water. Um, and uh, we hope to get some updated information today. But we're obviously watching this very closely. But this is directly related to what is going on. This was not related to the strikes in Yemen. This was normal interdiction operations that we've been conducting for some time to try to disrupt that flow of weapon supplies uh, to Yemen. So it's not, not related to the strikes that we took against the Houthis. But still, um, in this region, the Houthis, as you just mentioned there, say the motivation here is they're trying to get back at Israel's allies. That's a justification they're using for attacking some of these ships. Does the U.S. assess that these coalition strikes will deter the Houthis, or are you bracing for retaliation and an open-ended conflict? I think it would be Pollyannish for us to think that there couldn't or may not be some sort of retaliatory strike by the Houthis. We're watching this very, very closely. We've, take the, we've taken the requisite uh, necessary precautions in the region to make sure we're ready for that if that should occur. These strikes were meant to disrupt and degrade their ability to conduct these strikes. Um, and so we think that we had good effect on that. We're still assessing uh, the battle damage assessment of those strikes, but we think we had good effect. Uh, we'll see what happens. The, the Houthis have a choice to make here now, Margaret, uh, and the right choice is to stop these reckless attacks. And no matter what they say, this is not about uh, punishing Israel. I mean, one of the ships they took a shot at yesterday was Panamanian flag that it was taking Russian oil. It had nothing to do with Israel. So it, it may be an open-ended conflict. We don't know if deterrence has been established. Nobody wants a conflict with the Houthis. We're not looking for a conflict with Yemen here. We're trying to get these attacks to stop. So you can see there, uh, he tries to distance yes. the mission that these Navy SEALs were on from our strikes on Yemen and on the Houthis. But these are very clearly linked, It's Sagar. total BS. I'm actually really upset about it because it's obvious, look, you cannot tell me that these are normal operations. We don't normally have U.S. Navy SEALs who are bound, like boarding ships openly in the middle of Somalia uh, with weapons bound for Yemen. This is obviously a new policy that was put into place as part of this so-called coalition where we're trying to shop, stop the weapon shipments from Iran 
to the Houthis to prevent attacks in the Red Sea. For some reason, this responsibility has wholly come upon the United States, even though this is supposedly a conflict that involves Israel. Okay, so now we're involved in it. And now, I mean, look, I hate to say it, these two Navy SEALs are lost at sea now for days in the yeah. middle of the ocean. Yeah. That is horrible. I mean, I, look, I, I hope, I hope to God that they are found alive. Imagine being the family members of two of these guys, you know? And listen, they certainly, like in terms of the mission and all of that, it's one of those where we have to think about what was the strategy? What were we actually doing here? This was involved to try and prevent weapons flows from Iran to the Houthis, which are attacking ships. But the thing is, is that all of that for the center of gravity is Israel and is Gaza. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's why you put it correctly. It appears that these are gonna be the first direct, at, look, I don't wanna say casualty yet, the first at least like directly affected American soldiers other, or American service members other than the ones who've already been attacked in Iraq and in Syria, yeah. uh, who were directly involved in a combat operation or in some sort of operation that was directly involved in the conflict here, which I look, this is really tragic. I mean, these guys, it's like, what a horrible, horrible situation for their command, for the people who were involved, for their teammates and for their families and everyone else involved. And we just have to think about like, what is actually going on here? And what were these guys doing? And the truth is, is that this was all because the Houthis are attacking ships, which they say is because of the situation in Israel and in Gaza. And I got no love for the Houthis and I got no love for anybody, you know, who's attacking ships or anything other than that. If I thought that we could solve this problem by bombing, I'd be like, listen, 100%. The issue is, is that, as I said from day one, you know, the Saudis bombed these people kingdom come for nine straight years. And lo and behold, in the so-called battle damage assessment, which I know we're about to get into, Crystal, they say they only destroyed 10 to 20% of their offensive capability and that over 80% remains not only capable, but way harder to destroy because it's all mobilely launched, mm -hmm. which means that we could be in a way worse situation. I mean, just today, the news broke that the um, that there was a, yeah, the U.S. has it shot down a Houthi missile named at a U, aimed at a U.S. Navy ship. It only, t this today, this happened. And not, in this case, listen, shooting in a Panamanian tanker, carrying Russian oil, whatever, all right? Like, that's way less of our responsibility. This is at a U the USS the USS Laboon, which is a, a US destroyer, 4.45 p.m. Yemen time, anti-ship cruise missile. These things are no joke. Luckily, we have good defense, but what if it doesn't? You know, it only takes one, and then we're in a whole other different situation. Yeah. That's what I worry about. That's what I worry about the most. With this. Well, and let's yeah. just put some more details up on the screen that we know here. This is from the Washington Post, everything we know about what happened mm -hmm. with these Navy SEALs. And keep in mind, this is the official story yeah, right. of knows? what happened here. Who really knows? Okay, Navy SEALs lost at sea. We're searching for Yemen-bound weapons shipments, so we have confirmation of uh, what was being said there. It went awry near Somalia last week. They were dispatched to look for suspected Iranian weapons bound for militants in Yemen, which has become a staging ground for repeated attacks on commercial vessels in the Red Sea. The two service members who went missing were preparing to board the ship in rough seas when one of them slipped from her ladder. The second sailor, seeing their comrade fall into the water, dove in to help the official said on the condition of anonymity to describe early assessments. This occurred Thursday in the Gulf of Aden. They've been missing since Thursday, yeah. guys. Not immediately clear whether other military per personnel successfully boarded the ship, or if so, whether any Iranian-made weapons were located. Again, I say this is the official story is that they fell into the water. It is very possible that that is not actually what happened, but that both the attempt to distance this action 
from the strikes, the bombings of uh, the Houthis in Yemen, and also potentially, you know, I don't know what actually happened here, but if they are lying and they were actually killed by Iranians and they're saying they fell into the water to avoid escalation, I support that lie. I'm just <laughs> well, going to go ahead and say it straight out. <laughs> but um, Well, I wouldn't support it for their family members. It's just one of the, look, it's just, it's awful because in my view, they are both trying to directly involve U.S. soldiers, U.S. service members yeah. in this, and then distance themselves from it when well, things go out. That's why you don't put our troops at risk unless it's actually 100% worth it. You don't send people to go and board a ship unless you're like, unless, you know, it's for something that directly involves us, which is really important yeah. to our overall security. Well, obviously the yeah. reason I say that is just because yeah. I want to avoid war with yeah, Iran. Obviously. I, I want to avoid yeah. that escalatory right. spiral that you're talking about, that we are dramatically at risk of um, because, because of what Israel is doing in Gaza. I mean, all of these reports act like this is just happening out of nowhere. And again, like we're powerless to stop it or do anything about it. When there was a ceasefire, this all stopped. The attacks on our service members in Iraq that almost killed them, by the way, we came this close. Yeah, it hit a military barracks where they were sleeping. And by the, the luck of God, the universe, whatever you want to say. Thankfully, they were not killed, okay? the uh, These attacks in the Red Sea dramatically decreased because this all stems from a conflict that we are directly involved in, regardless of what Joe Biden wants you to believe and the hand-wringing reports that they released to the press. So what the hell are we doing here, I ask again. Let's go ahead to um, E4, guys, so we can see. This strategy, even if you want to say, like, okay, you know, it's, we're not going to call for a ceasefire, so I guess we have to bomb the Houthis. What are we even doing here when it didn't even work? The New York Times is reporting their offensive ability remains intact after the U.S.-led airstrikes. So it's not like we even were effective at degrading the Houthi, uh, the, the Houthi capabilities to continue to strike. So there's that. Um, you also have, we can skip ahead to uh, E7, you have even the RAND Corporation before this happened saying that this is an absolutely foolish strategy. Um, one of their analysts wrote this for, uh, for a magazine here saying, don't bomb the Houthis because it's not going to work. It's not that they're opposed the RAND Corporation famously like hawkish, but they say this is decades of experience have shown military efforts to dislodge the Houthis are unlikely to be effective. Like if bombing the Houthis would work, as Sagar has say, said in the past, they would already been, be gone. Like that would be done and finished. The Saudis have been bombing them for quite a while now to little impact. If anything, this bolsters their hand domestically because it is a uniting issue. The support for Palestinians is a uniting issue within Yemen. There were huge, huge demonstrations in the Yemeni capital of Sana'a um, after the U.S. struck these yeah. sites in Yemen. Um, by the way, let's put this next one up on the screen from Ryan Peterson. After the U.S. and U.K. navies launched missile attacks on land-based Houthi targets in Yemen, instead of sending a signal the Red Sea are now is now safe for ships, this morning 16 more vessels that had been en route to transit the Red Sea had instead diverted around Africa. So congratulations. You made the shipping situation worse. You made it worse. Because guess what, guys? Do you really want your container ship to go through what is now an active war zone thanks to the U.S. and the U.K.? So you didn't degrade their capabilities. You've made the shipping situation worse and put E9 up on the screen. By the way, oh, oil prices went up. 
after our strikes on the Houthis. So way to go, guys. Brilliant, brilliant strategy. You've done nothing but put U.S. service members at risk. You've done nothing but expand the danger of this war and the possibility of greater conflagration. You have made the shipping situation worse, and you caused oil prices to go up. Brilliant frickin' strategy, guys. Way to go. Yeah, it seems that the only ships left in the Red Sea are U.S. Navy ships and U.S. U or U.K. ships. I should laugh, but it's not funny because they're now they're getting fired on as of uh, literally this morning. And just that, anytime. Look, low-grade situation, this is the thing about asymmetric warfare, is we, quote-unquote, destroy whatever, 10 to 20%, and if anything, whatever you hit first is usually the easiest stuff to hit, which yeah, means whatever comes right. next is way harder to hit. Uh, it's just like the North Koreans, anybody else with who wants to display asymmetric power, what do you do? You make it difficult. And so you under camouflage, you put it on the back of a truck, and you move it around, and with modern you know, technology involving attack drones, as we've seen from the Houthis, and with the missiles, you can have a pretty significant impact for not that much money. So if, uh, I've said it too, they, you can solve this one way, Militarily, you have to occupy Yemen. I, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's worth it at all. There's another way, which is we could have diplomacy as this. I actually recommend you read that, you know, the Rand article, yeah. because it's in Foreign Affairs magazine. It's well-reasoned. It is. And she, she points out, you know, everything that I've talked about before, about the bombing campaign and about previously, about how if there's militarily capable. We talked about this already, too, with Gaza now for like 100 days, literally, at this point. I'm like, yeah. listen, if, if it's easy to, if you're going to win a war for the populace <laughs> destroyed insurgency with bombing alone, then we would have come out Vietnam as the greatest victors of of all mankind. It turns out it's a lot more difficult than that. Yeah. The issue, you know, is the same thing, you know, here. But uh, look, I think, look, we really could be, you know, near breaking point, as you say, because what we are waiting and looking for is a conflagration type event. The Red Sea, like the initial bombing, maybe that not going to set it off. And if anything, it may not even happen, Crystal, in, it may not even happen in Yemen. Yemen is just the latest indicator of the 40th order consequence of destabilization. It could happen with the Rafah mil military operation we just talked about. Do you remember early on in the war when an Israeli tank actually fired on, on Egypt and everyone just kind of looked the other way? Mm -hmm. They apologized. They're like, oh, we're really sorry. Yeah. I mean, that was serious. That was serious business. It's, you know, this is what I keep saying. It only takes one thing. Two Navy SEALs here. Likely, you know, they're missing. You know, hopefully we are able to find them, but who knows? The U.S. is clearly going to try and cover that up. But what if there's one more? What if we, you know, like you said, a barracks got hit? Can you imagine a scenario where five U.S. service guys are killed in a barracks in Iraq? That's, I mean, what's going to happen? There's also, people forget this, there is a peace process going on inside Yemen. They're also, I don't know if people know this, the Iraqi prime minister and the U.S. right now are in major negotiations over yeah. keeping our troops actually in the region. The yeah. Biden administration wants to stay. The Iraqis want us out. We'll see. I mean, I, I want us out too. But- <laughs> Obviously, they you know they're trying to keep us in. Who knows what that situation will look like? Like, there's big diplomatic problems. I think yeah. all over. Saudis are yeah. very unhappy right. with um, these strikes on Yemen because yeah, they were in the middle of a peace process and exactly. trying to resolve this conflict and not have endless war. And, and this is before we even mention the fact they didn't seek congressional authorization. The mm -hmm. strikes are illegal. Biden's being criticized, but we're actually on Rokana on tomorrow to talk about this aspect as well. But even if you don't care about that, even if you don't care about the Constitution. You don't care about, you know, striking a, a sovereign nation. If you even put all of that aside, like it is a stupid strategy that has already failed and backfired. So, you know, brilliant work, guys. Way to go. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes. I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, we actually are running into a bit of a scheduling thing. We've got an interview that we have to do and uh, we don't want the show to be too late. So my monologue will post later today sometime on YouTube and we'll tack it onto our podcast maybe tomorrow. So just excuse the uh, scheduling thing. We've got a lot going on here with all of that. But otherwise, uh, we will have a breaking news tonight about Iowa and then we will also have a show early for you tomorrow morning with Ryan and Emily here at the desk. We'll break everything down about what happened with the results of the Iowa caucuses and we will see you all then. Hey, 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.